Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. Are you leading a loyalty program in the UK and wondering what will be important in the future? Would you love to hear brand new research into loyalty trends so that you can figure out how to future-proof your program? Well, to launch Collinson's new partnership with Salesforce and Salesforce's new loyalty management module, these two leaders in loyalty are hosting an exclusive event in London all about future-proofing loyalty. It's being hosted at Salesforce Tower right in the heart of the City of London on Thursday the 12th of May. So to get your free invitation, simply register on invite.salesforce.com forward slash futureproofing loyalty. It promises to be a wonderful afternoon, a chance to meet and mingle with other loyalty professionals and be inspired with some wonderful ideas for the future of your loyalty program. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Let's Talk Loyalty, an interview with Adam Posner, who's been a guest on the show before, a loyalty expert based in Melbourne, Australia. Adam is well known in the Australian market for his consulting firm, The Point of Loyalty, and also over the last 10 years for his market report and consumer research study that takes the pulse on customer loyalty and loyalty programs in the Australian market. Today, Adam shares with me his latest insights from the 2022 For Love or Money report. I hope you enjoy our discussion about the key points that I found most interesting. And I also hope they're really useful for all of you listening, no matter where in the world you're joining us from. So, Adam Posner, welcome back to Let's Talk Loyalty. Oh, it's a pleasure to be back talking with you, Paula. It's always wonderful, Adam. I feel like we've done, this might be our third one or maybe even our fourth uh, recording together, but uh, always love talking about for love or money. It's incredible. Four and the fifth one is free. Is that correct? Like my <laughs> coffee car? Of course. Absolutely. Wonderful. Listen, Adam, um, you're, you're working extremely hard uh, releasing your um, research report again. I know it's the 10th edition of For Love or Money, a wonderfully in-depth research report on the Australian loyalty market, which I'll get you to, um, to fully describe for our listeners now in a moment. Before we get into the, the big topic for today's discussion, I did put you on the spot there a minute ago and ask you to have a think about your favorite loyalty program from a personal perspective, Adam. So ignoring all of the wonderful things that you study and advise and consult on, just from a personal perspective, what's your favorite current loyalty program? Yeah, the program that really resonates for me is a program that solves a customer problem. So it's not just a program that gives me points and perks and birthdays and offers. It's a program from a brand here in Australia called Super Cheap Auto, which is an automotive accessory um, brand and retail outlet all over Australia. And you can buy your car seat covers and to wash your car and basically all those accessories for, you know, keeping your car in good shape. 
Yeah. And their and their program um, is incredible because what they do is they they make this promise that you can buy anything at at any at the price that it's displayed on, so at full price. Yeah. And then because you're a member, if those car seat covers go on sale, they'll automatically credit back the difference into your account. Wow. And I think that's absolutely brilliant because it gives trust and uh, immediately with a program that I'll buy what I need when I need it. I won't wait for it to go on sale because I know yeah. based on their promise that within two weeks, if that item goes on sale, I will get the credit back. And so can you imagine what that does for trust with the brand for buying at full price? Yeah. But also one of the real things that, that really is what actually happens to, to the credit. Go on, the tell credit us. Is, yeah, the credit is used by me to go back again and of buy course. more. Yes, yes. So Unbelievable. It's brilliant from a business point of view and solves a customer problem. Um, I love it. And that's my story and that's the program. It's a wonderful story, Adam, and you're absolutely right. I don't think we do enough as a loyalty industry to overtly you know, build trust with our customers in such an explicit mm. and, uh, and simple way. Because I think mm. sometimes, you know, there's well-intentioned brands that might build a customer promise like that, but leave mm. it up to the customer to go and claim the difference or to notice or to, yes. to you know, to intervene, I suppose, to uh, to get that credit back. So the fact that they've closed the loop and yes. really said, we take responsibility for taking care of your spend that yes. it is going to be super cheap auto <laughs> to uh, yes. to live up to their brand promise. I, I think that's extraordinary and, and really and I, one. We'll have to get them on the show, Adam. No, I, I, I'm, just remind me because I'll try and find the, the right person for you. So, yeah, we, we, you should get them. I'm, I'm, I'd love to hear what they say from yeah. an internal point of view. I mean, I never worked yeah. on it. I'm just a consumer of their, of their program. Perfect, so, perfect. Yeah, yeah. And let's okay. say a very well-informed consumer, huh? <laughs> well, I just love it because I keep on saying, it solves an issue out there. How, how much do you hate going to buy a beautiful outfit yeah. and then on the Monday you see it goes on sale? Per Does that make uh, you happy? Oh, it it absolutely is super frustrating. Yeah, and so they've solved that. Yes, exactly. And I think it is particularly for a commodity product where there's probably a huge amount of comparison shopping in that sector. Yeah. So it might not be the same with the fashion brand or sometimes with luxury retail, for example, there's almost a, a pride in, you know, buying things at full price that there's no association around discounting as a model. But in this sector and in anything, I think that's seen as a commodity, it's a, it's a genius loyalty strategy. So, yeah. and I like the fact that you said it's, if you're a member, you get the credit back. It's not just by yes. being the customer. So it's not a differentiator. A yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. So that's exactly why I asked this question, Adam, so I could get super inspired by yeah. a brilliant idea that somebody's come up with because it's not a unique problem in the Australian market. It's definitely a global problem. So hopefully yeah. people listening can have a think about that for their <laughs> own businesses. Right. Yep. You have sent me the, the highlights and I suppose the keynotes of the uh, latest round of your research called For Love or Money. It's a wonderful piece of research. We did an episode on it last year. Uh, the audience absolutely loved it. Um, and I hope a lot of people went to your website to download it last year and hopefully again this year. So first and foremost, Adam, tell me, why did you get into this huge piece of research and work? I can imagine you probably don't have uh, a good night's sleep now for weeks uh, with all of this work going on. So tell us why you started all of the work. 
Yeah, it, it's an interesting story. I mean, 10 years ago, this year's the 10th edition, and I cannot believe my baby's 10 years old already. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, it was a random conversation that I had with a friend, and his name's, and I'll call him out, is Pete Noble um, here in Australia. And I was, I, I was in loyalty, I was consulting, um, and I had a, the, the business, and I just couldn't find an Australian based study around consumers' insights to loyalty and loyalty programs. So that's sure. 10 years ago. I mean, yeah. a lot of there were US based studies, um, but I couldn't find anything. So I thought, well, why don't I just do it? And I didn't realize. It's the old story. Sometimes if you know too much detail, you don't do things. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realise, you know, A, the appetite for it, but yeah. B, where it would go. And so we put together a brief um, and we, we commit. This is all done with an independent uh, research uh, company. So I don't do the, the research myself. I commission the research okay. and, a, and a professional. Yeah. And it's done on a robust, a robust Australian population of a 1,000 plus Australian adults over the age of 18. So it gives us a a 95% confidence level and a 3% margin of error. So it really gives us a great sentiment of the yeah. population. Wonderful. Anyway, so that's the backstory 10 years ago, a random coffee. We did the study. And at that stage, it was funny. We just published the study and we had hundreds and hundreds of downloads. We couldn't wow. believe it. It yeah. was free at that stage. And, we, and as you know now, yeah. I actually put a price on the main report. Okay. Um, but also the media grabbed onto it because we had brands mentioned and and, mm. and so it just grew from there. Then every year thereon, um, I've just got a mission to keep being curious. Totally. You know, my mission for this for this uh, research is, A, it helps me with my consulting, absolutely, but yeah. B, it educates and helps the community yeah. because the insights in Australia and New Zealand, you know, my mission is to identify insights mm. that inspire loyalty markets to take action to yeah. lift their loyalty programs and strategies, you know, out of what I call the sea of sameness, yeah. out of so that they become, you know, a real robust strategy within the business. And you and I have discussed this before, that yeah. they're not just a marketing work in progress item, but a boardroom agenda. The loyalty strategies and programs are all, yeah. all across the business. Yeah. So that's my passion point for the moment to answer your question Yes. Maybe in more detail than you might have expected. Well, you know, but I want to uh, acknowledge you, as I said, for the huge amount of work, because I cannot imagine undertaking something of that scale and articulating it in a way that's so powerful and so useful to, to such a, an important market. Actually, I do believe the Australian loyalty market is very sophisticated and increasingly so. And certainly yeah. this year's research will, will indicate some of the, um, the big interesting trends that are happening but also I do love all of your kind of sound bites, Adam. And I really believe this thing about the sea of sameness, you know, it's something yes. that consumers, I'm sure, would probably actually use those words if they had the chance themselves. So this, this challenge that we have sometimes as a consumer to say, why would I bother joining that loyalty yes. program? Like yes. finding a compelling proposition can be yes. super challenging. And I'm sure yes. we're, we're the most demanding customers in the world, given that we do this <laughs> professionally. But yes, um, yes I, I often stand at a retail counter and challenge the poor person to tell me why, <laughs> why? <laughs> I should join their loyalty program. Yeah. And then and, I go and, and have it. It's funny you say, tell me why, because part of my consulting, I always say to clients, yeah. Get your team to tell me why in 10 words or less. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And if uh, if there's a sea of sameness type proposition, you can guarantee they won't be able to. <laughs> yeah, correct. 
Brilliant. So listen, I have picked out my top three favorites from your wonderful 10 major insights, Adam. Um, But even before I talk about uh, those three, I do love your very simple definition, actually, in section one, where you articulate that obviously loyalty is not a loyalty program. And we've talked about that on this show before. So I didn't call the podcast Let's Talk Loyalty Programs for exactly the same reason. And you really articulate and explain those three elements, the three B's of loyalty, dare I say it. So, So I'd love you just to share that with the audience just to get us started. You know, it's continuous learning for me. And and a while ago, I realized that everyone talks, as you've said, about let's do loyalty. And then I ask them the question, hang on a second, what do you mean by (laughs) let's do loyalty? Uh, Do you want a loyalty program or do you want your customers to be more loyal? And so I, I, I believe that to get a frame of reference around loyalty is not a program, what is loyalty? Yeah. And getting a definition of loyalty and then deciding, once you know what loyalty actually is to your brand, mm-hmm. then you can decide what a loyalty program mm-hmm. can do to drive those loyalty outcomes. Sure. So loyalty is an outcome and it's mm-hmm. based on three Bs. It's yeah. a behavior, which mm-hmm. is transactional. You spend more and more often. Mm-hmm. It's a belief, which is attitudinal and it's emotional. So that's that trust, love and recommendation. Yeah. And there's now a belonging. It's my third my third B, so behavior, belief and belonging, where you yeah. actually feel connected to the purpose yeah. of the brand, which has become far more, uh, far more prevalent these days in the last perhaps two years. And I'm reading everywhere the word, do people connect with the purpose of the brand? You know, like Patagonia and their purpose yeah. um, and various other brands that have got a greater purpose. And yeah. these consumers are far more connected to the social connection, the mm. cause and charity and their purpose. Yeah. And that's why I've, pull, I've pulled in belonging as, as, as the third B of loyalty. I love it. I love it. It's a very important distinction, Adam. And again, for anybody who's sitting and reflecting on their own loyalty uh, campaigns, initiatives and programs to keep it quite broad, I do think belonging is a critical piece. So um, so important to have that in the definition. Um, so let's get into them. Um, I suppose my first, I suppose, favorite insight, Adam, this time around was in the fifth section of For Love or Money. And you talk about the growth in the impact of structured loyalty programs through the pandemic. And it has been my firm belief since I started in loyalty back in 2010, just after the big kind of global recession, that at times of uncertainty, loyalty programs are an amazingly powerful tool. And I think that's what's coming through in your research. So so I'd love you to share the insights in how are loyalty programs in, impacting consumer behavior now in 2022? Yes, yeah, so the, the the insight that you've chosen is, is very um, I guess, uh, relevant to today versus perhaps in the beginning of 2020. And we all know what's happened in the last few years. Yeah. And so I was very interested in looking at the impact of loyalty programs on brand engagement across uh, deciding to purchase from the brand, the impact of loyalty programs on actually purchasing and the impact of loyalty programs on recommending. And so those three key motivating aspects and interactions. Yeah. And in 2020, just for one of those three, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, deciding to purchase, did a loyalty program have an influence? And 63% said, yes, it did. But mm. in two years later, post-pandemic, or let's just say two years yeah. later, it's now yeah. 76%. So it's got a big jump in yeah. the impact that a program's had 
on influencing a person's decision to purchase from a brand. Yeah. Um, actual purchasing, another big jump. Mm. You know, it was it was oh, 71% this year versus 56 two years ago, 56%. So another big influencing factor of members saying yeah. that a program has had an impact on mm. their actual purchasing behavior. I call mm-hmm. it pre-pandemic, you, you know, because the study was done just before and yeah. now we're two years later. So I believe that the programs have had a huge impact yeah. over this period on, on, on consumers. Yeah. And the recommendation piece as well uh-huh. is um, is incredibly powerful, yeah? Yeah, I didn't even, you know, I don't want to overwhelm people with statistics, but, um, <laughs> you know, that one in itself, the jump has been, um, I think, 50, 46% said in 2020, yeah. 2020, 46, just under 50, said that a program influences them to recommend. And this year it's now 59, so just under 60. So another uh, significant jump in members saying that programs have an influence on them recommending a brand. So those three influences, decide, purchase, and recommend, all have uh, jumped in the last two years. Extraordinary. And the reason I suppose I picked that as my most favorite, Adam, and it goes back to the point you made already, we fundamentally, I suppose, believe as loyalty professionals that loyalty programs, initiatives and investments belong at the board level. So the conversations that we want to have, that's exactly what that cohort and those stakeholders and those budget holders need to understand. And I think what what your research does is it offers an independent validation of that because we've all been the loyalty managers saying my program is, you know, helping people decide or buy more or recommend us more. But because you've a vested interest in it, it's not as credible as you saying this is what people are telling me when they have no vested interest. So I think that independent piece is super powerful. Uh, That's an interesting perspective. I like what you just said there. And yes, yes, it is. It's an independent point of view versus a brand that's siloed within their own customer base. So, you know, I think you've highlighted something really interesting, which which is good for me to hear from you, you know, as a third party say that that's what I'm aiming to give insights and benchmarks. Yeah. Driving loyalty managers to go and do their own study and all analysis to see how they, they rank. But also to to avoid the risk of being dismissed. Yes. So I definitely think if I have a vested interest in proving how great my loyalty program is, it's just not credible or not as credible. And also yeah. there's the the inevitable bias that they're my pro it's my program, they're my members. Of course, they're going to tell me wonderful things to my face or directly or you know True. explicitly when I ask them. So again, there's the the power of professional researchers to say that this is something that's being said regardless of having any any reason or, or any bias. So that's Correct. why I like this this particular yeah. one. Yeah, super powerful. No, that's a good one for you to, to find to jump out at because I do love that one as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And as you did say, Adam, there are 10 sections and we're not going to do all of them justice today. Um, the next one I wanted to pick up on, um, I suppose, is probably around, um, you know, what people are interested in as rewards. And the whole section seven 
uh, is all about, you know, what is interesting, what's sexy. Um, and there's lots of new ways for members to be rewarded, um, whether it's, you know, you know, the existing ones, I suppose, like a catalogue, but then moving into the exciting ones. Um, and I know you also do a lot of analysis, Adam, around different demographics, um, and I was saying this to you all fair. So it's wonderful to have insights by gender, which we'll yeah. talk about specifically in this, you know, ways for members to be rewarded, but also the different uh, demographics. And when I was reading this, I had to, first of all, go back and remind myself, which demographic am I? Because it's just not something I have to remember very often, but you do cover all of them. Um, but there was also just a wonderful thing as a slight aside. I was reading something by Seth Godin this week, and he was talking yeah. about what's the next generation going to be called? So we know about our baby boomers. We know our Gen Z, our Gen X and Gen Y. And Seth Godin said that the next generation he thinks is going to be called uh, Generation C. So C for COVID, C for carbon, and C for climate. So oh, wow. Okay. Isn't that, that was super cool? Yeah. Right, I'm, I'm not sure there'll be uh, the right age yet for my study, but I will watch up. <laughs> Ten years' time, they might. Um, exactly. In, in which case, that's 20 years, we'll, we'll book another session with you. We totally will. Yeah, there you go. But, yes, I do look at the generations and the genders, so that's why the, yeah. the, the, for every brand that's got a program, they might have a different cohort or, yeah. you know, generational um, skew, and yes. they'd be more interested because they're more, they either want Gen Z on their, in their yeah. strategy or in their program or they've got them. So what's the nuances yeah. that, they, that comes through in the study? So tell us those nuances, Adam, then specifically in this whole section about tracking new ways for members to be rewarded. Okay, so in um, I think it was in 2020 again. I for the first time just got to double check it was 2020. Yes, I, I looked at the market around the world to see what's different about what programs are doing in terms of different ways for rewarding or engaging their members, rather than the traditional mm. um, you know type programs that we all know of. Mm. And there's there were seven that I or eight that I identified, and I included one that's standard or what that we all know which is the earning rewards for a catalogue because everybody's yeah. doing that, airlines and so on. Sure. And then I explored others like, you know, uh, and they're becoming more prevalent now, cash back to, to, to save your money in your telco and your electricity and utilities. So solving more, more cost of living in services problems, right? Sure. Rewards for recycling, that's become more prevalent. Two years mm. ago, they were all quite new. Um, earning cash back into your super to help you save your super funds. So that's mm. your, your your retirement fund. Again, quite unique a few years ago. I wanted yeah. to see those. Earning shares is another thing that's become more prevalent. Yeah. Earning cryptocurrency, you know, that's also become far more hot topic um, yeah. this year. And then even a funny one from one of the pizza brands that were giving people points for purchasing competitors' brands, which was, wow, why would you do that? It's <laughs> just so unique and, and yeah. very brave. Anyway. Long story short, I took those those eight and I researched them in 2020 to see how they ranked it and their appeal. Yeah. And in 2022, I did it again. So two years later, um, interestingly, and 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 I, I'm not quite sure why, but earning rewards from a catalog, the good old staple diet, the standard, has yeah. actually increased in appeal. Uh, mm. Funnily enough, it well, still ranks number two, but it's mm -hmm. increased over over that period. Uh, I don't okay. know why. Maybe people are safer, feeling safe. I'm just hypothesizing. I don't know why specifically. Sure. But what really fascinated me is when you, to your question, 
when you break down all those rewards based um, ideas um, into your demographic, as you say, your gender and your generations. Yeah. Early cryptocurrency, which is so topical now, sure. still ranks low on on all of those eight. Yeah. But it's significantly more of appeal to men and to Gen Z or Gen Z. Significantly yeah. more. Yeah. So, for example, I'll just give you a quick stat on that. So, yeah. generally, the population said that thirty-two percent were interest were interested in earning cryptocurrency as a reward. Right. Yeah. For men, it's thirty-seven. And for uh-huh. Gen Z, it's 44%. So quite significant differences. And that's when you dig into the data and you dig into that, that you suddenly realize yeah. that certain ways of rewarding members appeal to certain audiences. Which is super important. And again, you know, the whole idea about obviously building our proposition with our member profile, our ideal member profile in mind will definitely be very well informed if you do have perhaps, I'm thinking back actually to your super cheap auto guys, you know, they probably have more of a male bias, for example, and I know I'm totally generalizing there. Um, But if they do, then it's for them perhaps to suddenly think, ooh, maybe cryptocurrency is something that we should be exploring for our members as well, whereas it might be less prevalent for a brand that has more of a female bias. So definitely important to understand that. Exactly. And, and you know, um, without getting into any of that, that specifics, you, you're spot on. It's about understanding who your audience is, you yeah. know, getting to, to get a sense of, of where the skew is and, and then yeah. finding the appeal. So uh, for me, that was the most fascinating in this section is where perhaps, um, you know, cryptocurrency as a benefit has moved over two years. There's a lot of talk about NFTs in loyalty programs. And yeah. maybe you should find, uh, find get some people on your on your show to talk about that yeah. at some stage. And yeah. crypto. Because a lot of brands are exploring that right now, especially in their loyalty programs. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah interesting area that you found. Again, mm-hmm. another one of those nuggets hidden under the rock of, <laughs> of hundreds and hundreds of insights. Exactly, Adam. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I can imagine. And just give us a sense then, the finished report. I know it's, um, you know, it's out now um, and it's been in design for, I don't know, what did you say, six or eight weeks it's taken just to, to have it beautifully presented. So so what kind of um, depth of presentation are, is the report? Um, well, it's 101 pages. So anyone who wants to do some light reading in wow. bed one night, you've got 101 yeah. pages um, <laughs> to read the report. But uh, you know, I do give a free executive summary, as you know, every yeah. year, which is just a snapshot of some of them, of some yeah. of the areas, just quick, uh, we sound, as you said, sound bites. Some yeah. I give a little bit more detailed, some it's too much to, to actually give it, you know, the, yeah. the info. So mm-hmm. the executive summary is always free to download to get people interested and there's still some value in them. I often get feedback that, there's some yeah. great insights in that on its own. But yeah. the full report um, is going to be uh, available for purchase. And I haven't got a price qu- quite nailed, but it will be on the website um, when By people the go there and, down- and download it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and then I also present the research to brands and their marketing teams, which also comes part of the consulting practice that I provide. Okay. So, yeah, big report this year. And, and something I haven't mentioned to you, in fact, I forgot to mention it to you, but it's coming soon. I did a special edition this year. Oh. And this special edition is actually looking at um, what I, you would have seen in my study called the six currencies um, of collection that members care about. Okay. So you know the, what I call the six currencies of collection that members care about and yeah. how you build uh, your structure, your program benefit structure. So yeah. your financial layer, your memory or experiential layer, 
your yeah. uh, utility or, or time-saving layer, your mm. personal personalization, egoic status layer, um, your choice, give me choice layer, and your social community layer. So those, I uh, researched them in this yeah. study. But okay. I'm doing a, I did a special edition where I actually provided 61 different benefits under each of, in total, that belong to those six currencies. Okay. And I got members, the research panel, to uh, evaluate them all in, from an appeal point of view. So yeah. I'm re releasing a totally unique report in a few weeks' time that just looks at those six currencies and all of the benefits underneath it. Nice, nice, nice. And is that one that you'll be charging for, Adam? Or yes, is that, that will also be, um, okay, again, I invested big time this year, <laughs> uh, but it's very totally. much for loyalty managers who really want to know how yeah. to build their program structures and benefit layers so totally. that they really connect with their with their cut with their members, and totally. it's now got a ranking and a rating and percentages mm. and, and mm. stats, and it's and it's across uh, the genders and generations. So it's it's another biggish report. It's about thirty odd pages. It's not as big as this one. It's thirty odd pages, but okay. it's, it's a decent size insights. Okay, super super interesting. So listen, my other favorite one then, again, just out of the top 10, is this whole uh, subscriptions, hot or not. Um, <laughs> and you know I'm passionate about subscription. And yes, yeah. it's been around in various formats for, for many, many years. But I definitely think it's evolving probably the most dramatically of any other format maybe that we're talking about at the moment. So I'd love you just to talk us through what you've learned in terms of the uh, receptiveness to subscription-style programs in Australia and, of course, the big insight which you highlighted about the subscription guilt as being a big issue that loyalty marketeers need to understand. Yeah, I think subscriptions are, um, and have been talked about a lot in your show. I know you've had some great guests and, uh, and real specialists in that area and very topical because... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, they absolutely boomed through through the pandemic and, yeah. and all the streaming services, the food delivery services, the, you know, even QSRs. You know, I remember one of your your uh, yeah. Nera Bread, I think it was, on your Panera. show. Yeah. yeah. And a few of the, you know, they're all being – so subscriptions are – and whether it's gyms or, and, and other categories, they're out there and they're always out there, right? We all, we all join them. Sure. So what I've identified a few years ago was something – what in my mind was, you know, do we feel guilty for having a subscription that we don't actually use? Sure. So I was tapping into an, an emotional insight that I thought, you know, mm. uh, that I was feeling I'm not using Netflix or I'm not using Amazon Prime and I'm paying yeah. this. I feel guilty. Should I yeah. cancel? Should I cancel? Should I use it? Shouldn't I use it? And I thought, well, let me try and put a, a stat, statistic, uh, an insight against subscription guilt. Yeah. And, um, I asked uh, exactly that. You know, do you feel guilty for not using some or all of the benefits that you pay for in, in a subscription? Yeah. And in 2019, so I did it in 2019, 30% mm -hmm. of, of the members who responded to that question said, yes, I actually do. Wow. And I thought, wow, that's quite yeah. high. A third who, yeah. are, who you know, have got this feeling. Yeah. So I asked it again in 2022, and it's gone up, uh, you know, 20%. It's 36% have now said they feel guilty. Wow. So it's a really interesting uh, st st strategy or insight, so it's an insight for strategy for subscription managers, people. Yeah. Is, do you really know if your customers, your members of your mm. subscription program feel guilty about yeah. being a member because they're not using it? And do you yeah. care? Mm. This is a big question. <laughs> do you want to ignore those who aren't using the service? 
Yeah. Or do you want to, in some way, keep identifying the value that they can get? Yes, yes, yeah. And you've reminded me, Adam, because when I did one of the the episodes that you referred to there about subscription, uh, one of my guests did share that uh, Netflix, for example, had decided, now this was a few years ago, and I think they're struggling a lot more now, so I'm not sure if this still applies, but their decision at the time was they were identifying what they call zombie accounts, which is... Uh Exactly this idea that people um, subscribed and maybe forgot or fully disengaged. And again, those definitions, I'm sure, vary, you know, from time to time. But they were taking the uh, decision to actually stop charging those people so that they were actually going to remove them. And I think it was a tiny percentage. Again, I think Netflix has traditionally probably had very, very high usage, I would say, probably through the pandemic as well. And maybe before it became so competitive as an industry. But um, I do think if you've got zombie customers, um, you know, you need to make a decision as to what do you intend to do about that. And I've certainly seen some great work, for example, where, you know, subscription uh, loyalty uh, programs really spend an awful lot of time researching and looking at early activity levels to make sure that they're constantly reminding those subscribers yeah. how much yeah. more they can get. So I yeah. think there's there's a window of opportunity to yeah. alleviate the guilt or prevent it, yeah. let's say. To prevent to make- it, I love that. And, totally. and I think that's the insight that I, you know, again, back to the research, looking for insights to yeah. help uh, program managers take an action, like you've just said. So yeah. Yeah. Um, another one of those that I, that I'm the hot or not, and yeah. how topical it is, I thought subscription guilt would be worth talking yeah. about and you chose a good one again. Exactly, exactly. And there's a program I subscribe to here, which is a, you know, well-known program, two for one on uh, on restaurants. And, you know, and you buy this, you know, it's, it's quite expensive, actually. It's about 100 euros to buy for the year. But I do have that then as my benchmark to say, I have to save 100 euro on, on some nice meals uh, yeah. before I feel like I'm winning. <laughs> exactly. No, you, it's a great personal example. That's exactly the point. So, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so what else did you learn then just about subscription specifically, Adam? I know there's a uh, lot. Other, I mean, yeah. you know, I was trying to get a gauge on, on who's a member of, by definition, subscription programs. There was yeah. no big, big statistical differential to jump out at me. Yeah. Um, so that it was really just getting us. And oh, there was actually one on a generational level. So I'll ask a very general question and you've got to be careful in research about framing up, a subscription-based question yeah. because it's all about the value and the brand that it has to be expressed in order to get a gauge on, uh, you know, appeal or, or take up. Yeah, yeah. You can't talk generically. You've got to really sell the value for them. So my research is generic, and therefore I'm very careful about, you know, asking would you join a program that has lots of value and extended benefits for a fee mm-hmm. versus join a program which is free. Yeah. Very generic statements because you don't know what I mean by lots of value and extended benefits. Yeah, that's true. So that my question is very generic, and that's why I'm just following that generally. But I did notice that, again, Gen Z are far more likely uh, versus the population to join a subscription program which, uh, uh, which has a greater value and extended benefits. But I just want to say with a big call out that I'm not expressing what they are. I'm yes. just watching specifically what's happening with the various generations yeah. around free mm-hmm. versus fee. Yeah. 
and and their trends. So again, Adam, you know, yeah. we'll never we'll never know specifically what that individual was thinking. But at the same time, we have to make assumptions that this report versus last year's report, there will be similar assumptions being made in the the reader's mind. So yeah, right. so your job is to to draw out the parallels, so at least we can see directionally where are things yes. going that we need yes. to be thinking about. And, and the insight the- then is to program, sorry, on that one, people who want to build a subscription program is yeah. to use the research as a, the basis to say, oh, okay, that's interesting. So yeah. 25% of Gen of Gen Z will join a subscription program. Mm-hmm. So we can use that potentially in the beginning of our modeling. So we can then say, if yeah. we've got X number of members joining and they're this generation, then 25% yeah. will pay. So that you can they can start using that. They can validate it with their own audience, exactly. but they can start using the benchmarks to build the models. Yeah. Yeah. No, very good point. Very good point. The other one that came out in this section as well, Adam, is um, one that to me is always a huge concern when, you know, talking about planning a program and it's this whole idea of benefits connected to a cause or a charity, because I do think that um, it always sounds like such a wonderful idea. Members and research, they always do, you know, very much say, oh, yeah, that's something that we want as an option in terms of the benefits of our program. But you've called this, um, there's an issue within this that loyalty marketers need to understand. And you've called it the say, do gap, which I think, again, is a very succinct way to understand what actually happens when brands do decide to go that direction. So will you explain that for the audience, please, Adam? Yeah, it's 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 a common in research where you've got to be careful about, and I'm obviously I'm, I'm providing research, but yeah. you, you, you've always got to remember that in reality in business, you're going to use data, you're going to use research, and you're going to use reality, as in yeah. you're going to test and learn, you're going to go True. to market. So yeah. you can ask your customers, so would you donate your you know, your points or your benefits to a cause or charity that, that you care about or that we provide. Yeah. And you find a high proportion, say, yes, I will. Yes. And then when you actually, in reality, give them that opportunity, what the percentage that said, yes, they will, it's far less in reality. So they say they will, but yeah. they don't actually, they say do gap. So that's yeah. what I've seen in reality. In my yeah. research, I did it a bit differently this year. So I first asked how appealing, how appealing is it for you to earn rewards through a program that you can donate to a cause or charity. I got mm-hmm. a, uh, I think it was, and I'm just reminding myself, you know, 40% said, yeah, it's, it's appealing or, or fairly appealing for me yeah. to, for, for that, for that proposition. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of donating. Yeah. I then took it a bit further and I then asked the question about, so if you do have an option yeah. to, uh, to, to earn rewards through a program that you can donate, how, how are you likely to respond? Will you donate some of your rewards, none of your rewards, or all of your rewards? <laughs> so I did the some, none, or all. Yeah. And, um, well, 53, <laughs> 53% said unlikely to, to donate any. Yes. See? <laughs> it's um, extraordinary. Yeah. And, I, you know, again, so, again, it's just, and that's just in research, right, not in reality. Yes. So, um, um, but I did, I did just this little nugget here again, another one of those under the rock was there's, there's a small proportion and Gen Z jump out. It's amazing. But there's (laughs) 6%, 6% said, I'll actually donate all of the, all of it. That's what they said in my research. Yeah. And 11% for the Gen Z. So I'm just finding that the more and more I dig deeper in research, you find new insights. It helps because I'm getting approached in consulting land 
um, you know, about building programs that help a cause or a greater purpose. And I believe in it. Totally. But just got to realize the reality as well. Yes, it's definitely about managing expectations. And what I think is, you know, as human beings, we like to think of ourselves as being very generous. So, you know, it makes us feel good about ourselves. But then if you're in the choice and there's literally an option of option A, you know, free flight home to Ireland for Paula versus option B, donate to a charity, you know, that's (laughs) a much bigger decision. And (laughs) how do I make that decision at that point in time? So you're absolutely right. Yeah, so just to manage the expectations at the outset. Perfect. And will you quickly just mention the, the, the whole piece around card linking, Adam, because... I think that's um, a really big trend, I suppose, as well from the the technology side. And I know it was a new question within this section for you this year, um, a couple of concerns that came out in your research. But for me, card linking is still quite immature. Um, So that seems to be, I think, what you're concluding as well. But I definitely feel, you know, when we have this conversation this time next year, I'm pretty sure you'll be telling me this one is jumping up again, I'm hoping. Yeah, again, this has come out of my real life experience with consulting that I've been helping a certain clients with this uh, this element of card linking. And we all know what that is, which is yeah. when you, you 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 actually give over your credit card, your debit card into your membership so that every time yeah. you use that card, you earn the points and, and benefits. So you are handing over a piece of, you yeah. know, uh, quite sensitive um, uh, yeah. payment. Yeah, payment, payment. Totally. So I, we did some research with the client and we got a feedback from their customer base. So I thought I'd put it into the wider population to see, you know, yeah. how, you know, how is their preference for certain people to actually, or how do they feel about it? Yeah. And, and yes, you're right from reading through the results that it's still um, relatively unappealing mm. uh, as in there's, I think it was well over 60% said no, they wouldn't want to connect yeah. their credit or debit card into a membership directly um, through card linking, uh, whereas, you know, there's a whole range of other people who will. And again, when you look at the generations, there are another, uh, you know, there's some are far more comfortable. I trust the Mm. brand, here's Mm. my credit card, you know, no worries, I'm earning the points, you've told me the benefits, no problem. But it's another sort of card linking payments area within the whole technology and loyalty space that I'm just watching and, and, and measuring. Wonderful, wonderful. So listen, that's all of the the sections I wanted to explore today, Adam. Um, what else did you want to, to highlight for, for, for listeners before we finish up? Yeah, look, I'll finish up with the last section, which we shouldn't forget about, which is the data section. Yeah. Um, the data privacy. Uh, and I track that around a whole range of, of, of questions. I've got, I've got something called the Net Data Trust Score, which yes. is uh, uh, program yeah. members trusting the, the data. But I asked a brand new question there, which is a call out for 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 those people who are looking at, at you know first party and, and zero party uh, uh, data strategies as cookies become more um, of an issue. So you know everyone's rushing to loyalty programs to solve their their, their party problems, as I call it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just it's a big call out to say that if you're asking for data. You've got to use it. Use it with compliance and sensitivity because members, I've asked it in the research, expect you to. Yes. And they, they have high expectations. So don't just ask for it. Use it. Use it sensitively. Use it wisely. Use it relevantly. And yeah. now I've got a statistic and an insight about higher expectations um, uh, around that. So it's just another yeah. new one that I wanted to call out for, for your audience um, amongst all the others. So, yeah. Wow, we've had we've we've been through some of the good ones. There's so much more. <laughs> totally, 
Tell everybody where they can find your report, Adam. Yeah, thanks, Paula. It's available through my website. The, um, the website is thepointofloyalty.com.au. So the point of loyalty is all one word, .com.au. Yeah. And it's very clearly up in lights. It says for love or money. And yeah. it'll go, you'll go there and you'll see the Australian. Um, as I said, there's a free executive summary. You can pay for the full report or yeah. there's an option for me to personally present it as well, uh, mm. which has a paid element. So, um, you know, I will reveal insights here and there, and and but it's there for the for for those who are who are keen and interested. Okay. Well, listen. On that note, I want to again thank you for all of the the work for coming to share this with our global audience. Super interesting to have this uh, research coming through every year. So, Adam Posner, CEO of the Point of Loyalty, and of course the author of For Love or Money. Thank you so much from Let's Talk Loyalty. Thanks, Paula. I really appreciate it. This show is sponsored by The Wise Marketeer, the world's most popular source of loyalty marketing news, insights, and research. The Wise Marketeer also offers loyalty marketing training through its Loyalty Academy, which has already certified over 245 executives in 27 countries as certified loyalty marketing professionals. For more information, check out thewisemarketeer.com and loyaltyacademy.org. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like us to send you the latest shows each week, simply sign up for the Let's Talk Loyalty newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and we'll send our best episodes straight to your inbox. And don't forget that you can follow Let's Talk Loyalty on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And of course, we'd love for you to share your feedback and reviews. Thanks again for supporting the show.